0: Well, if you wouldn't mind taking out your Bibles to Matthew 13, it's in the New Testament, back third of the Bible, and uh, Matthew 13, we're going to look at verses 47 through 52 today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we do have them in the seat rack nearby if you'd like to pull one out. It's on page 685. By the way, I just love hearing the sound of pages turning. Thank you so much for just so many of you come interested in learning and wanting to grow, that kind of teachable, humble spirit is so precious, and so thank you for that. So as you're turning there, let me explain what we're starting today. About a year and a half ago, our church conducted a survey, an outside survey called Reveal, And uh, again, almost 450 uh, different households participated in this, which is pretty good for our size of church. And uh, so, a lot of the answers that came back, uh, the results were very helpful to us. And one of the things that pointed out is that we're a church that is interested in helping people grow further along in their relationship with the Lord. But one of the things that we don't feel Uh, so good about again a lot of the survey answers that you you answered came back is we don't feel so good about how we interact with people that don't yet know the Lord that we honestly need uh, some as much help as we can get with that and that's something that we need to get better at as a church so for the next two months what we feel like we need to do this summer is talk about this whole idea of being disciple makers um We just got a fresh coat of paint in the room here this week, and in the process, the uh, banners got hung up backwards here, up front. So normally it's left to right, but I want to just read with you our mission. So would you join me, and, and we'll get it right next week as far as the order, okay? But here it is. Let's read this together. We believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves and then look at here on the screen let's read that by becoming and making disciples who do three things okay what are they love the lord love one another and serve the world now this is what we understand our mission to be and it comes a lot from jesus words before he left planet earth to go to the right hand of god the father and i don't know if you if you've read it before but uh, I've listed it there in the first gray box in the notes so that we can read off it. And this is really the overarching idea of the whole series before we look at Matthew 13 for today. And uh, what I want you to know before we read this part out loud is here's what Jesus said when he came to that small band of followers that were following him before he ascended to the Father. Here's what he said, all authority, how much? All All authority in heaven and on earth, that's a lot of authority, has been given to me he said therefore go and that's what this next part's about so let's read this together in the gray box therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and here's how it ends in verse 20 and i will be with you to the end of the age All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm calling you to go and make disciples, and I'm going to be with you. This isn't your idea. It's my idea. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I'm asking you to go and do this with me, to join me here on planet earth. Now, I don't know... I don't know if you have ever get your imagination going when you're reading the Bible, but I did that this week. And I was trying to picture these guys standing out on the side of the Palestine Hill there. And uh, after Jesus you know, went up into heaven, I think they went, Did you hear that? Um, I just heard him say that he's not planning to do it all. That, that, we, that, that we have a part in this. Uh, There's not that many. How did he say how far are we supposed to take this? All all nations? Oh, yeah, yeah. He said something about all authority. It's going to be with us. That must be the only way it's going to happen. Wow. And they just must have fallen asleep many nights on their cots going, go and make disciples. Huh. And uh, I'm sure there were days that they got away from that temporarily and they and just had to be reminded of what jesus said so here's the question we want to ask ourselves all during this series if you're following along in the notes are we becoming disciples you know there's some here i know some of you have told me you're still on the way you're still not sure what you think about jesus so you may not have become a disciple yet but are we becoming disciples here's the next part who make disciples Maybe you've always thought that's for the extra credit Christians, the leaders, you know, the missionaries, that kind of thing. He was talking to ordinary fishermen. He's talking to ordinary people. He said, look, I invited you to be a disciple. Now I'm asking you to go and make disciples. You know what a disciple is? Everyone understood what disciples were in the New Testament. They understood it's someone who lives with a rabbi and learns to do everything the way he does it learns how to live like he lives, learns how to interact like he interacts. It's completely learning how to become like your rabbi. And Jesus said, look, I've taught you how to be disciples. Now I want you to go and make more disciples of mine in all nations because I have the whole world on my heart. Unbelievable. Now, today, what I want to talk to you about is how easily it is for us to get away from this how easily it is for me to get away from this. There is this natural drift away from being a disciple who's making disciples. I don't know how it works in your life, but I just find that times I get fuzzy, times I get apathetic, times I just lose my edge. And again, it just happens easily. And what I want to, you know, put forward today is that one of the reasons why this happens is because we lose sight of the stakes. We lose sight of how much is at stake. That Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, I want you to do this if you don't have anything else going on. The stakes are eternal. And I don't know if you've realized that the stakes are eternal life and eternal death. But when I forget that, I just kind of drift along and think that life's just becoming a happy American or live and let live. You know, why didn't Jesus just say live and let live? Why did he say, no, 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 go and make disciples? Now, I want to just tell you two things before I talk about the stakes. The first is an experience that I had 15 years ago when you as a church permitted me to go to a mentoring school with a pastor named Jack Hayford out in California. For four years, I got a chance to spend a week around him uh, with usually 30 other pastors, and we would spend just the whole day uh, listening. And he had some things that he had learned that he taught. And I realized immediately that I was in a completely different crowd of pastors than the circle that I'm usually used to. You know, there's different denominations, different groups of Christians, you know, around the world. So I could tell by the things they talked about that I was like not necessarily knowledgeable about what many of these guys were. So one day after a break, uh, these guys kind of, you know, yuck-yucking up, they kind of said, they, they mentioned a, a, a very visible Christian leader who has marked my life deeply and who had marked my wife's family very deeply. And so they bring him up, and you can tell that they're kind of, uh, they don't take him seriously. So they, so they said to Jack Hafer, they said, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? And they were expecting, I think, Jack to say, yeah, I agree, man, messed up kind of thing. Instead, here's what he said. Well, I happen to know the person you're talking about. He's actually become a friend of mine. I've gotten to know him pretty well. And uh, no matter what you think of him, here's what I want you to understand about him he really believes that people are going to hell, and it bothers him. You could have cut the silence with a knife. Now, I don't remember everything Jack Hayford said. I will never forget that. Because I remember sitting in my seat going, I could afford some more of that. He really believes people are going to hell, and it bothers him. That guy was like his rabbi. The second thing I want to share is actually comes from the words of an atheist. Some of you may have seen Penn Gillette. He's an illusionist and a comedian out in Las Vegas. Some of you have seen him. He's kind of got some rough edges, but he says it like it is, and here's what he says. He's an atheist. He says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. In other words, share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? How much do you have to hate somebody not to share that with them? He understands that if the stakes are eternal, why in the world would we keep it to ourselves? So, what I want to do today, in case you haven't, I know that messages nowadays on Heaven and hell are less and less common. And I'm not going to make this completely about that because I want to tie it to disciple-makers. But for the next few minutes, I just want to unpack the parable that I just asked you to turn to. Jesus told this parable. And I want you to think with me about how Jesus understood the stakes are eternal and how that might impact your life and mine. And uh, again, as I, I read this, I want to just read it. Then I'm going to make a few comments about it. Notice the question Jesus asked. And then we're going to unpack a little more, okay? You mind if I pray before we do that? Now, Lord, I have no ability to understand or impart these things to other people apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. These are revealed things. They are challenging things, and I would just pray that you would help me, Lord, Lord. Preach in the kind of spirit that you, as our rabbi, taught in. In your name I pray. Amen. So here we go. I'll ask you to read when we get to verses 49 and 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but through the bad away. Would you read verse 49 and 50 with me? This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things, Jesus said? Yes, they replied. Verse 52, therefore... Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now notice, who did Jesus choose as his first disciples? Some of them were what? What was their occupation? Fishermen. I bet they were all ears about this parable. Here's what I want you to notice, these first three things, and then Jesus' question. First, like the fish in the parable... He says, people will be gathered, gathered. Like the fish in the parable, people will one day be gathered. And notice that this is a dragnet he speaks about, not a hook and line. The idea is is that it will be comprehensive, that all people will one day be gathered to stand before God. There's other parables Jesus tells and other teaching where he says this. I've mentioned that out to the right, but notice the second thing. But like the fish in this parable, people will be separated. People will be separated or sorted and end up in one of two places. Notice the fish were put in one of two places. People will be separated. Third, all who trust Jesus, those who have been made righteous by him, not self-righteous, those who have been made righteous by him, will wind up in heaven And those who are unbelievers, what the Bible often calls the wicked, those who twist what God intended for them to be, will wind up in hell, in a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He shares these things, and then he has a question if you're following along. Jesus asks, have you understood these things? Have you understood these things? And they reply, Yes. Now, Jesus doesn't mean, have you understood this intellectually? That's important. But that's not what he means. He means, have you understood this all the way to your bones? Is this something that you know with conviction? Have you understood this? Do you realize that the stakes are eternal? This is big. Now, On the banners here, we have different symbols, graphics. We really appreciate the artist in our church who helped us design this. And it's actually on the card I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But if you look at that card, it's got one of those graphics up at the top. And here it is on the screen. Here's what I want you to notice, this graphic. You notice how there's like a fork in the road. And Jesus is saying here in this parable is there's coming a day when you will have to decide which direction you're going to go with the Lord. And on that day, it's going to decide that you go one of two directions. Now I'd like you to picture this with me. If you think of this stage here on the left side as just where we all are right now in our lives, and we're walking towards the right side of the stage, and at the right side of the stage at the end there is the afterlife. Jesus is trying to say as clearly as he can, every person is making their way through life, and have you noticed that we're all aging. Some of us are doing it better than others. <laughs> like my wife. But anyway, so as you're aging, okay, he says you're coming to a place where you're getting closer and closer every day to the afterlife, which is going to last a whole lot longer than this life. And when you come to that point, he says, it's, you're going to be gathered and separated one, two places. You're going to eventually stand before God and give an account. Wow. Wow. That is how high the stakes are. They're big. We're not just here messing around. We're not just here drifting through life. We may feel that's the way it is, but there is a purpose of why we are made. So he says, be careful about that. Be careful about that. Be thoughtful about that. Don't just, you know. And so um, let me just read this quote again from a message called The Look at Hell by Bill Hybels. He says this, I want to ask you, do all of you really believe in a hell as well as a heaven? Or have you done your best not to think much about it? I don't enjoy teaching about hell. I don't like the fact that some of my loved ones are headed that way based on the decisions they're making every day. But I have a difficult time blocking it out of my mind. You cannot read your Bible without being confronted by the fact that Jesus believed in a hell and taught about it more than he did about heaven. Probably because he knew that most people would try desperately to block the reality of hell from their thoughts. It's a very discomforting thing. Not only does Jesus teach frequently about it, but the other Bible writers do too. And even if you weren't going to rely on Scripture, if I could spend a half hour with every one of you, I think we would reach the conclusion that any sense of justice we share demands there be a hell. I saw an interview with a woman whose daughter had been brutally raped and then murdered, an awful crime. The rapist and murderer was blatantly unrepentant. He even laughed at the mother of the daughter he murdered. After the trial, the mother told the reporters that she didn't want the death penalty because she wanted the knowledge that every single hour of every single day for the rest of his life, he would pay for that crime. For her, Justice demanded a lifetime of incarceration and retribution. She wasn't going to let him off with quick annihilation. In a moral economy governed by a holy, completely righteous God, offenses against that perfectly holy God will be paid for. If there is not the intervention of forgiveness or a pardon, they'll spend that time through incarceration and retribution for an eternity in hell. Justice demands it. And so as we think about this, I don't know where you are on this subject. I know I was reading articles this week. I know that there's Harvard professors in theology department that say that hell is way past relevant nowadays. I know that people cannot imagine that any thinking person can believe what Jesus said about this. But what he wants to know is, do we understand these things? They are crystal clear. This is the only time he talked, this is not the only time he talks about it. And so here's what I thought. As I was working on the message this week, it just seemed clear to me that probably more important than what I say to you today would be your own grappling with Scripture yourself on this subject. So if you turn your notes over to the back side of the notes, what I've done is this is not exhaustive. In fact, I actually am going to ask you in a second to add a couple verses that I think might be helpful to you as well to look at. But I've listed these verses. What, what does God say in the Bible about judgment and hell? And again, I spent time, you may say, did you read the, I, I've read these carefully all over again this week. And it's, it's interesting to see what it does. It's, have you noticed that in our country, there, there isn't much talk about this anymore? But in the past, there was. And I admit that many people overshot it, and many people did it in the wrong spirit. But notice this, and if, if you would, out to the right of your notes there, on the right half, you'll see <laughs> Hebrews 9, 27, and 28 about there. If you would just write these passages next to it Hebrews 2, verse 3, <clears throat> Hebrews, 2, verse 3 Hebrews 10, verse 29, and 2 Peter 3, 3 through 15. I, I forgot to add those, and also one more. <clears throat> Revelation 16, 9, 11, and 21. Those are just some things. Look at what I put at the bottom of that page. Lord, teach me what you want me to know about all this, and give me your heart for people. That's what I hope you'd pay attention to when you read those verses, and just say, God, God, I don't even know what to think about this whole subject. Would you show me what am I supposed to think? So with the time that remains, I want to just talk to you about these stakes. You know, some people say, well, how in the world? How does a person wind up, you know, separated from God? How does that happen? And look at C.S. Lewis, what he says here. This is a, a really powerful quote I thought about many times. He himself had been a former atheist. He said, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way for all eternity. He also went on to say that the handle of the door in hell is on the inside. People are there because they choose to be there. They would rather get their own way than God's way. They refuse to bow humbly before God and receive his gift of grace and salvation. And so it's a really sobering thing. But let me just again talk about how the Bible does it. If you read those verses, here's just some reflections, okay? First, you'll notice that there's emotional, physical, relational, and spiritual joy or anguish if you're following along. That there's emotional, physical, relational, and spiritual joy or anguish for all eternity. Now let me just walk through what I mean by that. First, emotional joy or anguish. The Bible says is that in heaven, uses this picture, that people in heaven that have been made righteous by God through the saving work of his son Jesus Christ will be dressed in white and will have clean consciences. Can you imagine having a completely clean conscience? Can you imagine how much would be lifted off you just by that grace? And the Bible says he's gonna do that for people that trust in him. That's an awesome gift. But in hell, Jesus used words like Gehenna and gnashing of teeth. The word Gehenna would not make much sense to us. But it was the name of the valley, the local garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus said, hell is like Gehenna. You know what happens at a garbage dump? Things that are thrown in a garbage dump are those things that no longer work or serve the purpose for which they're made. People in hell are people that refuse to live for the purpose and the glory that God made them to live for. They've been thrown away. They've been finally separated because they refuse to live their purpose. And Jesus says, man, that and the, it was burning 24 hours a day. The fires were there. The worm never died. He was using that image. You can say, hell is a lot like that. People that will not serve God's purpose ultimately will be separated in a place like that. And then the idea of, of uh, gnashing of teeth. Uh, you, have you ever heard someone gnash their teeth? You, you know how it sounds? Uh, I'll do it for you right here. Arr! Arr! Like that. Have you ever heard that coming from a kitchen when something's burning? Or... Something like that. The word uh, is describing anger, rage. Now, I used to think that if people only knew about what God had done for them in Jesus Christ, they would go, sure. I want to give my life to Him." It just only took just them hearing about it. But what I gave to you earlier, Re- Revelation 16, 9 and 11, I read it again this morning. It says that no matter how bad things get here on earth, there will always be a group of people that will be so hateful and so angry towards God that they will gnash their teeth and they will curse God and they will refuse to repent all the way to their deaths. Wow. Gnashing of teeth and in hell, people will be gnashing their teeth going, I, I hate you, God. I, you didn't let me get my way. Whew. Very, very sobering, that kind of emotional language. Think about the physical anguish. The Bible says is that when we trust in Christ by His grace, we're going to receive new bodies. Huh. I know some of you, that sounds like music to your ears because this one's been hard to carry around or it's decaying. My mom's been in pain for 30 years. She loves that that is made available forever. But the Bible says that it In hell, people will be resurrected, yes, only to face fire and intense heat. In one of Jesus' parables in Luke 16, he actually says that uh, it will be so intense that the guy asks not for a cup of water, even a gallon one, he just has to be able to touch his finger in the water to touch his tongue for some kind of relief, but it never comes. The, The kind of physical anguish that people will experience is unbelievable friends again in many ways more than we can understand but the third one is emotional excuse me is relational anguish relational anguish you know this about heaven i know you in my father's house are many rooms he talks about it being a city talks about there being a banquet a feast that means there's going to be perfect fellowship in heaven not tainted by our sin, not tainted by our weakness. Can you imagine that? That's why there's going to be so much singing, so much joy. There's going to be this relational connectedness that avoids and evades us many times here on earth, even in our best efforts. But in heaven, there's going to be fellowship as rich and as powerful as we can possibly imagine. But in hell, you know, when people say nowadays, see in hell, yuck, yuck frat party, eternal animal house. Friends, it's not going to be like that. There is no image of hell that gives any idea of that. In fact, the picture of hell is solitary suffering. If you can imagine a place where self-centeredness is allowed to rule, you, I, I don't even think you and I can imagine it. The closest I've ever come is knowing people that have served time in prison. Maximum security prisons. The terror that they often live with in those prisons is amazing. Now imagine, no guards, no bars, nothing, people being allowed. Self, it's just, it's, and the truth is, I don't even think that'll be a problem because I think they're gonna, people are going to be so caught up with the emotional and physical anguish. They're going to be so devastated by that that they won't have any energy to care about anybody anyway, nor will they want to. Just imagine that. And the fourth one is this, spiritual joy, or anguish. The Bible tries to describe heaven in lots of pictures because it's beyond our understanding in some ways, but it says that the heaven will be lit by the light of God's presence. Can you imagine being in the light of someone so perfect and how it will, it will fill the place and just what that does and how just conspicuous that light is, but the Bible says that hell can only be described as a place of utter or outer darkness. Darkness. Now think about this with me. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the evil. You know, the the sun rises on the evil and on the good right now. But there's coming a day, can you imagine, when the Bible says God takes away his hand, and he says, have it your way, and there is no more of that daily grace falling on both believer and unbeliever. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for him to be completely absent? That is what hell is like. And so when Jesus comes to earth, people are going, like, cool it on the hell stuff. But he's going, look, I'm not making this stuff up. This stuff is the reality. These stakes are eternal. Come on, take seriously what you're doing with your life and take seriously the people around you. And some of you are going, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Now, Hebrews, we just got done with that. Do you realize there were two warnings in Hebrews we didn't spend a lot of time on? But here's what they were. Hebrews 2, 3 says this. How can we escape judgment if we ignore such a great salvation that God has offered us in Jesus? How can we possibly ignore judgment? And then Hebrews ten twenty nine says this. It says that... How much more, how severely does somebody deserve to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and the blood that he offered to them to forgive them? Whew. The stakes, friends, are sky high. Now, some of you are dying to know right now, what about those that have never heard about Jesus? Well, suffice it to say that people will not be held accountable for what they have not heard. But Romans 1 says that God has worked in every human heart. He has revealed himself both in creation and also special ways. So no one's going to stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. He's going to, every person will know, and they will be accountable for what they do know. But here's the truth. You and I have heard. And what you and I do with it is huge. But it's easy to push it away, isn't it? It's easy to push it away. So I want to just talk with you in the time that remains. I want to try and tie together how the stakes are eternal and how being a disciple matters. So here we go. If you're following along, I want you to see the go of Jesus, okay? First, I want you to see that when Jesus said go, what he's saying is, is that he works in and through people to reach people. He works in and through people to reach people this last weekend staff meeting we are reading a book and we are reading a chapter about how god works in about five different ways to change people and one of those is providential relationships if you were to take time every one of us that has come to know jesus christ and begun to be a follower of his we would have to say that somewhere along the line when we're walking towards the afterlife by his grace he's allowed us to bump up against someone who pointed us to jesus who said Jesus Christ can not only spare you from that, but he can give you life that's way different than that. You can trust him. You can be a follower of his too. This isn't just for me. No superiority. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. And you and I know that through providential relationships, that's why when you and I understand the great commission, it is not all up to us, but there is a measure of responsibility that also we cannot deny. That one of the ways that he wants us to know is that he's going to touch people. And so therefore, how do you and I start thinking about the people around us? How do we start looking at them differently? But here's what happens. And I just list a couple examples of how things go south. First, we can think that God can't wait to judge people. After a while, I don't know if you're like me, but after a while, after receiving God's amazing grace, I start to become self-righteous at times again. I start to become like some of the Pharisees in the New Testament who they looked down at people and they thought, I bet God can't wait to judge that person. What a waste of space on earth. Oh my goodness. And Jesus was grieved by their heart like that. He, was so, he said, you don't know God. You don't know God's heart. You don't know how much we care about. That's why I'm here. And therefore, God has to screw our heads on right years ago when I was first a youth pastor here. I was reading my Bible every morning like we encourage you to do. You never know what's going to happen when you open yourself up to God's word. And one day, I got my bell rung. Look at Ezekiel 18.32. I hadn't realized how faulty my thinking had become. But look at what this verse says. Here's what God says. For I take no pleasure in the death of what, friends? Anyone declares the sovereign Lord. That's why he says, repent and live. Come on, I'm appealing to you. I don't take pleasure in this. That's why I'm warning you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Are you glad that he loves us enough to tell us the truth? He doesn't want us to be blindsided by these things. And so the second way that we can get away from this is that disciple, or we can think that disciple-making doesn't matter, that it's not life or death, that it's not life or death. Live and let live. Oh, man, that would be so much easier to live, wouldn't it? And what's happened is, is that there begins to start settling in our souls what many people in the world believe today, and that's what's sometimes called universalism. Some people have asked me what the church down the street here believes, Unitarian Universalist. I've actually had lunch with the pastor there a couple of times at his request, by the way, his humble request. So I'm not tearing down people when I say this. I am speaking against a belief. But Universalism believes that it's all going to work out for everybody just the same. There is no Judgment Day. There is no Heaven. There is no Hell. Let's just be the best human people we can be. And there's some noble things, there's some virtuous things that people in that church do. Please hear me. But that kind of belief does not take the stakes as eternal. And that's a, that's a concern. And that happens to me. I be, all of a sudden, this universalism just begins to come into my spirit. And Jesus goes, don't, don't cave into that. That's dangerous stuff to believe. That's why I came. Do you understand these things? Have you understood these things, he says? So the last thing I want you to see in this section is this. is he says, see every person as an eternal soul that matters to God. To see every person as an eternal soul who matters to God. If we're going to be like our rabbi, if we're going to learn how to be disciples who make other disciples, then it's really, really important the kind of tone we set. And one of the reasons why the world is so opposed sometimes to us talking about this subject is because they can tell that we almost feel proud about this. Years ago, D.L. Moody, an evangelist, was hearing some Christians yuck it up about hell. They were making jokes about hell. And they looked over. He wasn't saying a word. And they saw tears coming down his face. And he put his hand up and he said, don't ever... Talk about hell again without tears. Don't ever talk about hell with tears. If you really see people the way God sees people, if you really care like God cares, you cannot laugh about that. It's powerful stuff, friends. And so what I've learned through this series, if we're going to be disciple makers... God's going to have to help us both see how we are just one beggar showing another beggar where we found bread by his grace. This is no superiority, friends, but this is seeing people differently through his eyes. And we just need to be tenderized by the stakes, don't we? And so what I wanted to ask you to do is take out your card that was on the seat, hopefully. And I want to ask you if you just pull that out. And if you turn it to the back, You'll see this sentence there. It says, Lord, I commit to pray and watch for open-door opportunities to be a disciple-maker with the following people. And then it's just got some lines. I'm not suggesting you write people's names in the next few moments, but initials. This is not... This is. Is there anybody that while we've been talking about this together that God's been saying, that person's in your circle? That person's on your path, that person's in your family, that person you know, and you know right now that they don't know me. I want you to look at them with difference, and I'm not asking anybody to walk out of here and grab somebody like the Pels and say, do you know you're going to hell? That's not what I'm suggesting, because what we're going to teach in this series as practically as we can, the disciple-making is about trust-filled, honoring relationships with people that through genuine concern and relation to the people is how God makes other disciples. And he wants to do that through you and me. And so uh, again, I've listed some initials here and I was looking at them this morning. And here's what I want to just suggest you might do. I pictured these different friends or loved ones, family members, and I pictured them standing before God someday And I pictured two things. I pictured them unprepared. And the first time I did that, I started crying. Because I realized I don't want them to be unprepared, if at all possible. If I can do anything, by God's grace, open a door. And then I pictured them prepared. Prepared to be able to say, you gave me your son. You gave me everything I need for pardon, mercy, life. Thank you. So we're going to take communion in just a moment. And as we do, keep this card close by. And if there's some initials you've already written or thought about writing, I want you just to think about those people who are taking communion today and how much Jesus cares about them and how he may be connecting your life to theirs. And you may not be the person that ultimately leads them to know Jesus, but you realize right now there's a whole bunch of people, no one's praying for them right now in the whole world. And maybe you're the person that he says, I want you to pray and I want you to keep praying for open doors. And when I give you open doors, you may stumble. You may not get it all perfect. But if you'll point them to me, you may want to write a note. You may want to talk to them. You might want to go for coffee. I'll show you. But look for open doors. Pray for those. Can I just tell you one quick thing? Can you imagine if our church would do this? If every one of us walked out of here and the next few weeks We just all began to say, God, we're not better than anyone else in the world. Not by a mile, you know that. But you've decided to make us disciple makers. And so show us how to pray for open doors to invite other people to be your followers too. Show us how to do that. Here's what I've learned. When I don't pray, the opportunities seem to drop dramatically. When I pray, they seem to go up. And I wonder what God's saying. So if you're following along in the notes, here's the last line. Then, Lord, who do I know who still needs to know you? Who do I know who still needs to know you? And now let me explain about communion.